Welcome to Grant Thornton's Navigating the New Normal podcast series. My name's Velvet Bell Templeman, and I'm here talking to Ian Renwood, tech advisory partner at Grant Thornton. Ian specializes in emerging technologies and their application to transform traditional operating models. Today, we're talking new technology and the way it disrupts industries and how COVID-19 has brought a digital transformation to many companies and industries sooner than expected. Thanks so much for joining us, Ian. Thank you. Great to have the opportunity to talk to you. Now, Ian, let's talk about the pace of technological change. It was pretty fast before COVID and it seems to have sped up even more in the last five or so months. Is that correct? It is correct. Yes, it has sped up quite a bit, but there's a big but there and it is quite a large but. A lot of organisations, even those that thought they were quite technically advanced, have actually had to put a lot of band-aid measures in place to enable remote working and enable compliance to all the various, you know, shutdowns, lockdowns we've had over the last few months. What that means is they've introduced a whole bunch of risks and they've done a bunch of point solutions that might actually be working now, but are not necessarily sustainable in the long term. So a lot of those organisations, whilst they've been quite proactive, or I should say reactive, and they've delivered uh, an integrated you know, remote workforce, um, they've also set themselves up for some challenges down the future that they really need to get on top of. And obviously, remote working has been a major driver, but it's not just about enabling your workforce, is it? It's also about understanding your customer. Yes, that's correct. One of the big challenges of the remote working is we've taken away the most important interaction we have with many of our customers. And even those organisations such as Amazon and others that have been very, very good at taking orders remotely, they've spent a lot of time and energy getting that sort of insights and analytics around customers in place so they actually have a good understanding of how you or I consume things, how we want to be managed as customers. A lot of other organisations that are you know, surviving now or, or in survival mode going from you know, bricks and mortar with a little bit of e-commerce to 100% e-commerce, they haven't had the same opportunity to do the analysis and understand how their customers want to be engaged and how they manage that relationship going forward. So there's there's some challenges there, but there's also quite a number of opportunities. So for those organisations that are moving into the online or e-commerce world, the first ones that will actually start to look at the insights that they can gather about their customers and manage them more effectively are the ones that are really going to get the best leverage out of this new normal, if you can call it that, about how we're engaging and consuming products and services these days. And Ian, how much data do you think businesses are sitting on that they aren't using to their full advantage? And where is it? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. There's a lot of data and it's very, very difficult to estimate just how much data there is out there, but it depends upon the organisation. And, and even before you get into some of the more advanced things like IoT and devices and wearables that we have that's capturing data about us, most or, or every organisation captures data to some degree. And there's two kinds of data that we need to think about. And a lot of people just, a lot of organisations and people just think about data in the context of transactions, uh, personal records, medical or healthcare records, those sorts of things. And that's the traditional structured data. But there's a whole raft of unstructured data that's out there about how that individual or how another you know, company interacts with your organisation and how you can actually unlock that unstructured data alongside the structured data that's, that, that's known is going to be one of the great opportunities that most companies face in the future. And is that where businesses should pin their hopes on understanding their clients' data better or should they be investing in automation and and new tech? The answer is both of them really and I'll explain that. The automation and new technology is very important to enable the future interaction and service delivery to our, our customer base. However, 
you can only really do that if you understand how your, your data is being captured and managed right now. So if you're automating a process and you're unsure what data is being captured in that process or the veracity or accuracy of that data, it can make it very, very difficult and you can end up going down the path where you're automating inefficiencies. So I would say that we should always be looking and we always tell our our clients that they should be looking at ways to automate and the ways to leverage emerging technology. But if they don't have their underlying data sorted out properly, by that I mean having, having the appropriate information architecture in place, how they manage that data, how they store it, how they interrogate it, how they actually know where it is, then there's not a lot of value. In fact, there's a lot of wasted effort and energy in trying to look at new technologies such as automation or anything else that's emerging at the moment. Ian, bigger picture now. At the big end of town, we've got businesses built purely on data, which is for the most part ungoverned and unregulated. And now we're experiencing a pushback around data privacy, consent and AI. What do you think will happen in this space in the next two to five years? And how might this influence how businesses use their data? That's a a good question and there's a lot to that. So yeah, organisations are facing those challenges. I would say that there are a number of issues that need to be addressed. One is there's a generational issue. A certain emerging generation of consumers don't at all feel perturbed about having their data shared and through transactions with things such as TikTok and other social media platforms, they sort of opt into it automatically and don't seem to mind. You've got more established consumers such as you and I and, and others who, who have a little bit more concern or awareness about how their data is being leveraged and utilised. So whilst we used to go back to the old days where you can literally, I could go to an organisation and buy sheets of information and databases where I could probably target you. I'd probably know your home phone number, your income range, all that sort of thing, your age, and be able to target you via you know, phone calls or direct mail. In, in, in the new world, and it's been, it's been coming this way for some time, but it's, it's only going to accelerate the use of that information is now sacrosanct. So you need to be able to leverage the data that your organisation captures about individuals to target those consumers or potential consumers in a way that doesn't threaten them, doesn't make them feel like they're being, I guess, sold to aggressively, but it, it shows a degree of insights into the way they product, conduct their lives, the way they consume, so that they can build a, a trusted client relationship with it. So there's a school of thought for certain industries like fashion or books that there are no new ideas, just new ways of exploring old ones. In terms of tech, is it a matter of making what we have smarter or are there new innovations on the horizon that we haven't thought of yet? So there's two answers to that. The first answer is, yes, there is a degree of, and most people are familiar with Moore's law in terms of storage, and you can only um, increase your compute power or your storage capacity to a certain extent. And we've we've been the beneficiaries of that for the last decade or so. But there are some emerging technologies that are coming out, such as quantum computing, and that's going to completely change the way we operate or function as organisations because it's going to break, break a particular barrier on the compute capacity, compute capability that an average organisation will, will, will be able to, to marshal. And we really don't quite know yet just how vast that particular impact will be going forward. The second point to your question is there is a degree, there is an element of um, doing things more efficiently and more effectively, but we shouldn't also dismiss that there is a great deal of opportunity to innovate using existing and not even having to worry about the future technology. So the current COVID-19 circumstances has given us opportunities to test the market and organisations are now looking at how technology can change the way they engage. 
Ian, hard question for you. If you look at the sectors most impacted by COVID, the arts, travel and tourism, hospitality, could they use technology to reinvent themselves? And what might that look like? Yes, they could. And there's been some good examples of that just recently. So in my own personal circumstances, I've recently done a a tour of the Amalfi Coast in 4K video GoPro, which was quite interesting. And although that may not replace the opportunity to go there and visit it, there's nothing like experiencing that yourself sitting in the coffee shop, etc. It certainly has opened my mind to wanting to go there. So it's one way that sort of travel organisation is used to whet the appetite for potential consumers down the track. Also, uh, the Canberra Zoo, which has some amazing interactive experiences where you can literally sleep next to the tiger enclosure and things like that. They've done a similar element of the engagement with their customers. Not the same as actually being there, but again, it helps you know a consumer put that as a priority on their bucket list for something to do when, when there's more freedom of movement in the, in the coming months. The other opportunity that I've, I've seen recently is the way that some you know pop stars, rock stars and, and performers have engaged their, their, in their market and, and kept them I guess current and kept them excited about the sort of their arts. So two examples there is I recently attended a, a virtual Kate Sobrano concert, which was a which was a great idea. It's not something that would have happened three or four months ago, but it was a great opportunity to engage with her fan base and it's something that I think you will see more and more going forward. And the other opportunity that I've experienced is the the Royal Ballet have also run some similar sessions um, out of Covent Garden. Now, you might only be able to get there once every few years if you're an overseas resident who has a passion for ballet or, or their opera. But by doing those kinds of engagements, it means that it whets your appetite and you may just want to go there more frequently. So there are ways that these performers and the arts and travel industries are, are using technology. It's not replacing the, the end user experience that, we, that we've that you know, we become accustomed to, but it certainly keeps you involved, engaged, and makes sure that the, your passion for that doesn't slip down your priority list. So when we are able to move more freely, you're more likely to want to go out and, and embrace that you know, in, in real life again. There are limitations to tech, though. I think I was reading that all online streaming providers are growing. People are noticing not as much new content because it can't be created, but instead of getting rid of Netflix, they're getting more apps. Yeah, that's correct. So there are a number of apps that are rolling out. Disney is a good example, and and, and there are other parallel apps. So because of the way the digital rights are managed for a number of those studios for movies and television productions and and, and even music catalogues, it means that they're, they're held by a number of different, different licensees. So previously, you might have had one or two go to market, such, such as Netflix, which you mentioned, but there are a number of other people who are saying, well, in this current climate, why don't we capture that digital, the digital rights we've got and roll out our own solution, our own app? So you've got a number of people that six months ago may have only had Netflix. They've now got Disney, they've now got Stan, they've now, they've now got you know, Amazon, they've got a whole raft of those online media providers. And I think most people are happy to have a portfolio of those because, as you say, you can you can then pick and choose and you can broaden your access to things that you enjoy. I mean, if you've got instance of one organisation that controls the distribution rights, if, if you like, in Seinfeld, you can only watch so many episodes of Seinfeld, even though I'm a great fan of it myself. So if you need to sign up with other other media platforms to access other episodes of other series and, and, and movies of that, then people are doing that uh, significantly. I know anecdotally that's absolutely happening and I'm, I'm keeping an eye out to see some data about how many platforms per user, if I can put it that way, uh, people are signing up for. But it's certainly growing. I know anecdotally most people in my family and friends have now got two or three media platforms and I'd be interested to see how that's being adopted on a global basis.
Ian, you sit on boards and act as a mentor for tech startups. How are they responding? Actually, it's technology startups that have been quite resilient. The reason for that is most of them, in fact, have been very much used to the remote working concept because they're quite agile, small staff, often working in a rented out space in, in, in some incubator hub or accelerator, they don't often always have their full staff there full time. And that sector has also been extremely good at engaging people who are returning to the career, maybe having had raised a family or halfway through that on a flexible basis. So most of those organisations being technology enabled or born in the cloud, as we like to say, are not having as many challenges as some of the traditional businesses in terms of engaging their workforce and making sure that they're delivering the sort of content that they want. More broadly, there have been some pivots, and it's interesting, I was reading on the weekend, the Financial Times has just released the recent quarter announcements on some of the venture capital funding for the startup community, and there's been a big pivot towards those startups that are providing customer engagement. So to go back to the question you asked earlier, people are looking, looking for more and more innovative ways that they can be engaged by an organisation. So if you've got a technology that, that helps a dress shop or a menswear outfitter be able to engage their customer base in a more attractive, insightful way, then that's an area that's been quite well funded at the moment. The other area which is interesting is the insurtech market. So there's a lot of insurance technology type companies that are coming out with interesting solutions and they've also received a significant growth in their funding over the last quarter. Just what impact and how that flows to the rest of discretionary investments in that sector over the next few few years um, will only be interesting to see. The other interesting thing is there's been a significant drop off on the funding that has been provided to alternate lenders. Now, I find that interesting because there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that people are using those payday lenders and other lenders of sources of alternative finance to help fund them through the current cash flow situation. But it seems to be that they might be leading the market, but the investment from the, you know, the venture capital space is being redirected elsewhere. So how that actually impacts that market over the next couple of years will also be something that would be worth keeping a close eye on. Ian, years ago there were articles saying that all Australian cars will be driverless by 2030. That's in a decade. Based on what we're living through now, what else can we look forward to? That's an interesting observation. I've always been a great advocate for adopting new technology. And we always thought Tesla was, was interesting and a very curious investment. I, I for one, have been a bit sceptical. I, I like the technology as a technologist. I think it's fantastic what they've achieved, but at the price point and the consumer that they were targeting was never going to make mainstream penetration, certainly not in the foreseeable future. But what's been interesting is some of the larger automotive organisations such as Honda have come out and said that by 2022, all their cars will be at a minimum will be hybrid with, with a strong preference to move towards electric. So that will have a huge impact on the adoption of those of that technology in the broader marketplace. So I think the the twenty thirty objective for most of the cars on the road being either alternate energy sources but potentially driverless, I think is, is certainly achievable. In terms of other technologies, as I mentioned a little while ago, quantum computing is one to really keep an eye on because it will massively enhance the compute power that not just large organisations have access to but consumers as well. And we really don't know yet just how much of an impact that will have on the likes of medical research, research into things like cancer, dementia and, and other 
challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis. So the quantum computing is something over the next decade that will probably have as big an impact on mankind as the transistor had you know, 45, 50 years ago. The other challenge, of course, of that is because of the massively increased compute power, it also raises significant concerns around the security. So most of the transactions that we're now pretty comfortable to do on a day-to-day basis via our mobile devices or via our desktop are conducted over public key infrastructure. The issue with uh, quantum computing is that it means that people with uh, more nefarious motivations will have access to a lot more powerful computing to to create havoc with our our payments platforms and other forms of cybersecurity. So there's a there's a trade-off here that has to be watched very closely. But I would say there's a lot of excitement there about some of this new technology around quantum. But there's also some some major caveats and question marks we need to keep a close eye on. Ian, thank you for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You can find further information on how COVID-19 might affect your business and assistance is available to you on the Grant Thornton COVID-19 Hub at www.grantthornton.com.au forward slash COVID-19. If you liked this podcast and you'd like to hear more, you can find and subscribe to Grant Thornton Australia on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. I'm Velvet Bell Templeman and you're listening to Boardroom Media.